Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Minnesota, the FBI, and American justice. Sam Sorbo, actress and author of Words for Warriors, Fight Back Against Crazy Socialists and the Toxic Liberal Left, will join me and vaccine passports and mask mandates. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Lots of you are probably paying attention to the trial, the criminal trial that's unfolding in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And this is, of course, the trial in which the police officer, uh, Derek Chauvin, is being prosecuted for the incident last summer, the George Floyd incident, which uh, gave rise, as everyone knows, to a summer of riots and uh, great concern expressed by people who were talking about why uh, this officer kneeled on George Floyd's neck, why, what happened in there, why he did it for so long, and essentially, you know, what, um, what we need to do about the police system and the criminal justice system. But I want to bring it up today to say this. This is an example of the criminal justice system working the way it's supposed to, meaning that we have an officer charged, we have, you know, many Americans, um, virtually almost every American, is aware of the incident, probably saw the video, um, and is very, very uh, concerned about this police officer's treatment of this gentleman, George Floyd, uh, and his, his conduct that day, why he did it. I mean, people are deeply concerned, do not understand why this officer did that. And he's charged with, I'm trying to find the precise charges. He was charged with second degree, um, okay, found, find it. He was, anyway, he's charged with numerous counts of murder. This is the one officer who had his knee um, on, the, on this um, guy's neck and the criminal justice trial is unfolding. And I wanna mention a couple things about the trial. When I say, this is how the justice system is supposed to work. The accused has an attorney. Of course, the state is going after prosecuting him. Numerous charges against this officer Chauvin. Um, and he is, you know, this trial is happening in Minneapolis. The, the court has up until now at least declined the defense's motion to move the trial for change of venue. So, you know, the, the trial is going forward in a place where some people are concerned, you know, it may be hard to get a fair trial, but they're moving forward. And the um, prosecutor has laid out his case, you know, why th these charges are made. And I, I, you know, I had a little listing of the charges I don't have in front of me, but it was like, you know, it was like second degree, ma uh, second degree murder. And uh, it was a variety of charges. And prosecutors do this for a reason because each charge, each criminal charge has different elements to it. And so as the case unfolds, the jury is going to be looking at did the, the uh, prosecution meet the elements of each charge, which is a good thing because the basic notion is it's not supposed to be a broad or vague accusation by the state. It's a specific charge. And having many charges against this officer increases the likelihood of a guilty verdict. And then you have the defense starting out their presentation talking about uh, having found that there were drugs in George Floyd's system, uh, unclear, you know, all the facts that led up to that. But I want to raise it because there has been so much turmoil in this country over the last years, several years, about the criminal justice system. And even though our system isn't perfect, it is, you know, even if you want to say it's a terrible system and reaches, you know, reaches unjust conclusions, unjust outcomes sometimes where you have an innocent person convicted or a guilty person get off. So it's not perfect. It's the best system on the planet Earth, on the planet Earth, the best justice system there is. The procedures, procedures we have in place, the protections for the accused, uh, the, the roles of each of the people involved, very specific roles, all designed to try to live up to the standards of our founding of America, this notion of you're innocent until proven guilty, and that you have a right to a jury of your peers. All of those things we set up from the founding of this country, all of those are being played out right in front of us. And I want to talk about that a little bit today because... There has been so much criticism of the police in our country, 
so much criticism of the justice system, so much criticism of all of it, that when good things are happening, like this trial, like this trial in which we are actually seeing uh, the system play out, we ought to be appreciating it. So that is the first point. Appreciate the system is working as it's supposed to. I also want to make the point that even people who strongly believe in back the blue, defend the police, stand up for the police, don't defund the police. Yeah, and I fall in that category. I'm a back the blue, don't defund the police person. But everyone in this country, virtually everyone, myself included, even those who strongly say they back the blue, we want our justice system to work. We want it to work the way it is. We want it to go after people who, and no one who says, I back the blue, you know, I back the justice system. No one is saying that the police are never wrong. No one's saying that there, that there aren't times when the police are completely out of line. They may engage in racially biased conduct. And we go after that conduct. You can be consistently strongly saying back the blue and at the same time saying, sometimes police officers are wrong they do things that are wrong. Sometimes the system needs to have an adjustment to it, whether it is the way we charge crimes, the penalties we attach to those crimes. You can always be in favor of improving the justice system, at the, but at the same time saying, and I support back the blue. I, so far, and you know, this, this is not a show where I just focus laser, uh, like a laser focus on some criminal trial. I'm not going to spend, you know, every single day of this trial running through the details of what this witness said but, and that witness said. I'm just commenting on how great this is as an example to America. We actually do have a criminal justice system. One place online I saw actually was listing out the people who were chosen for the jury, not by name, but by saying, you know, 35-year-old uh, business person from this community, you know, 62-year-old teacher, whatever. Uh, descriptions of who's sitting in the jury is a very public thing. It's another way that we insist in our country for fair jury trials. They're very public. And you can, I don't know in that particular case, if you can go in and watch the trial, because I'm going to guess that there's a lot involved uh, in keeping the, the system safe. Uh, but there are still, um, you know, okay, actually, here are the charges. I want to tell you what the charges were. Second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. Those are three charges that were lodged against Officer Chauvin. And so you have just a tremendous example of the justice system working. And you also have people like myself who strongly believe in back the blue also believe that sometimes there is need, are needs for improvements in the criminal justice system, in the charging, the sentencing, and improvements needed in the police departments in our country. And as a result of the George Floyd incident, there were, uh, there were police departments around the country who, had, who made some changes based on that. As you've heard from other, other uh, people in my show talked about the idea, a lot of the things that were wrong that day were actually procedures already not permitted in, in major cities in the country. The police are already not permitted to do those things. But we try to adjust the criminal justice system, constantly trying to make it better and more fair. Now I want to switch and talk about the FBI in Washington. What do we do as a country to fix the problems with the FBI? What do you do in this country when you have, for example, the FBI, the national you know, police force, so to speak, uh, you have them participating in and being aware of that they're participating in the ongoing, completely unjustified investigation into Trump-Russia collusion. We all watched that happen. We watched, I mean, think about the number of FBI officers. There's something like 24, 26 FBI officers during two or three years, two plus years at least, three plus years, spending time, you know, going down every rabbit hole, investigating, questioning, reading documents, you know, I mean, just going wild, trying to find proof of something that didn't happen. Many of them had to realize someplace along the way, you know, this seems pretty political. Why are we doing this? This is, seems really, really political. No one said a word. We had a politicized FBI, a politicized FBI continuing to harass innocent people who happened to have some connection to the Trump campaign or the Trump administration, hassled, questioned, threatened. 
And many of them said later, they felt like they were threatened. If you don't go along and say this or help us with this, you know, we might find a charge against you. I mean, you had the FBI out of control in a political vendetta against the, uh, the then president, President Trump. And, and how do we correct that? What do we do about that? And I mentioned about the FBI. You know, we've had in this country after January 6th, horrible, violent conduct at our United States Capitol. The FBI has gone hog wild, tracking down, chasing down every person, even potentially, possibly involved in that January 6th conduct at the Capitol. Now, of course, you have to go after the people who actually committed violence. Go after the people who are breaking windows, threatening people, uh, saying threatening things. I mean, you have to go after people who are committing crimes. But not everybody who got inside the Capitol that day committed crimes. They walked, in fact, the beginning, the video show, the Capitol Police were welcoming the people into the Capitol. So you have a very dicey situation in Washington, an uncertain uh, you know, instigation. What exactly? Who were the people getting inside January 6th on the Capitol? Was it all Trump supporters? No. Was it all Antifa? No. Some combination of people. You have all of that mess happening, all of it happening. Um, and so you ended up with a, um, you know, a, a mess at the Capitol, and you ended up with the um, FBI looking into it, and they have been sending out, literally sending out FBI agents around the country, knocking on doors. I, I mentioned to you, I think, I didn't have them on my show, but a person we know, actually, uh, said he got a you know, knock at the door from the FBI at his home saying, hey, you know, this is a... Um, we're kind of, um, you know, we're here because you were at the Capitol, weren't you in Washington? They'd gotten his flight records from the, from the B of A, Bank of America, questioning why, you know, why are you there? Uh, what, what did you do? Did you go to the Capitol? And, and this is a guy who literally went to Washington, heard Trump's speech at that, I've forgotten the name of the area, but heard Trump's speech and went back to his hotel. Never got near the U.S. Capitol, but they flew two FBI officers out to knock on his front door and question him. Happened all over the country. So you see, fervor going after the people at the, who uh, engaged in the conduct at January 6th in the Capitol, or who didn't even go to the Capitol. And on the other hand, you see the uh, FBI not all that curious and not all that involved and not all that interested in pursuing what occurred on the, uh, throughout the country, all of 2020, in virtually every major city in this country, with Antifa riots, Black Lives Matter riots, none of that seemed to interest the FBI very much. I'm not saying none of it did. I'm not saying that the FBI did nothing, but they did not engage in investigations of those kind of attacks with the same fervor, with the same hysteria uh, as they are going after in the January 20th and uh, in the January 6th incident at the Capitol. And on top of that, I wanted to mention, uh, there was a uh, great piece that, talking about what really happened um, at the, um, um, happened after the January 6th situation. So the uh, January 6th happened, people got arrested, FBI is investigating, you know, showing up at people's homes around the country, and the FBI is saying, you know, we had a, um, we had a report that your son was here, your child was here. And part of what happened, so this is the FBI that does the investigating, and then the Department of Justice gets involved with the prosecutions. Well, in Washington, there was a concerted effort, it appears, for some people who were arrested based on being in the Capitol on January 6th, not necessarily having engaged in any violence, but being in the Capitol and having some affiliation with some organization that might have been inside the Capitol. And so you had those people both charged, they go to Washington to be charged, and you had a decision made by the courts there to hold these people, hold them in jail, before the trial. Now, you know, if you're talking about someone who committed violence and you're worried they're a flight risk, that's one thing. But you had people who, one was an 18-year-old kid who was in Washington and was inside the Capitol and, you know, met the criteria otherwise set forth to allow you to set bail. I mean, they list criteria in the law that says these, you know, factors should be taken into consideration. Some kid, he's 18-year-old homeschooled kid. 18-year-old homeschooled kid. And when he was he got up for his, the hearing, the judge decided that he could not, they would not set bail for him, not because he engaged in any violence, but because he couldn't be sent home 
and held, you know, told to stay in the house, like house arrest, because he was already homeschooled. And so if you're already homeschooled, um, then, you know, house arrest doesn't mean anything to you, which was the argument of the judge. Getting around to saying so many bad decisions were made by the courts as to whether or not to hold people in jail in Washington versus to, you know, set bail and let them go back to their home states and come back for, their, for the trial. So many bad decisions that a federal appellate court, a, the Circuit Court of D.C., actually took some of the cases, the appeals of these people from the trial court saying, okay, you know, I'm getting prosecuted here, but you know, I, I'm not a flight risk and I don't have a record. I, I want to go get sent home. I'll, I'll, I'll put up bail. And the, the trial court having said, no, no bail for you. And in a really relatively unusual move, the circuit court in Washington, D.C. said, you know, um, actually, we, we have to question this. And these were even, these were not all judges appointed by Trump. These are judges, even one was appointed, I think, by Clinton and one by Obama. The point is, these are judges, even left-winger judges, who said, this justice system is getting a little bit out of control here. You're not granting bail to these people who are not flight risk. They meet the criteria of the statute, and you're going to just hold them. And the thing is, I'm getting at the point of saying, what is becoming increasingly obvious to more people is that we have great reason to be greatly concerned about the politicization of the entire criminal justice system, the politicization of what the FBI did in the uh, course of the uh, Mueller investigation, Mueller witch hunt into the non-existent uh, Russia collusion with the Trump people. We had the FBI continuing to harass people the way they set up Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. And this is a, you know, you talk about when the people on the left say that, you know, we have police brutality, we have to re-examine the police departments, we have to re-examine criminal laws. I'm all in favor of that. I'm always looking closely at, do we have a, a good justice system? Could we make an improvement? But at the federal level, it's very, very hard to envision how that happens. Very, very hard to envision how you root out a politicized FBI, how you root out the people in the FBI who would engage in this kind of conduct, who would permit this kind of conduct, who would just simply uh, go along with it, go along with as opposed to speak up and say, you know, the January 6th thing, by the way, folks, at the at the um, Capitol, I am not I'm, I'm not condoning it or even agreeing. I'm not agreeing with it anyway. The violence that occurred at the Capitol, bad. But if you are the FBI and you have more interest in tracking down every schlep who happened to fly from some city into Washington that day and question them about whether they came to the Capitol, but you watch the violence filling the streets of America and very little involvement of the FBI, very little ability, you know, you're kind of saying, uh, you know, we pick and choose our cases to be involved in. And the last thing on the FBI I'll say is this, I don't know the right adjustment to make, but it's one thing to have the FBI be so biased that they are just, you know, on, uh, they're on steroids determined to go after somebody um, for, um, for being in the Capitol on January 6th. But when you have actually, truly, deeply, legitimately suspicious people in this country, and they're kind of on the FBI watch list, and the FBI is kind of looking after them, but you somehow can't take them out of action. And I want to just read you some of the examples of people, recent extreme violence engaged in by people already under the FBI's watch, already uh, part of the um, FBI's, um, you know, uh, should be alert to list. And yet they, nothing happened to them until they engaged in the violence. The most recent one uh, in Colorado, they had, um, Colorado Springs, I think it was, uh, they had Syrian born, a mass shooter, a Syrian immigrant, a Trump hater, a uh, ISIS supporting Syrian immigrant named Ahmed Al Ali Asi, who on March 27th, uh, no, I'm sorry, earlier than that, but he had been on the FBI's radar, but nothing was ever done to him. And what he went in, what he did in that Colorado shooting, he shot up and killed, he killed 10 people in a Jewish grocery store, in a grocery store that tailors to Jewish clientele, I assume because they have kosher foods, other foods that people uh, who practice Jewish faith might want to have. So you have the Syrian immigrant killing 10 Jewish people by a guy who was on the FBI's watch list, uh, couldn't do a thing about it. In fact, uh, a few days before he did that, he purchased a pistol, which means he passed a federal background check, also run by the FBI. Other examples of FBI 
just not on top of their game with serious, serious people. You had, for example, the Fort Hood shooter in 2009 killed 13 people. He had been on the FBI's watch list but didn't do a thing about it. The Boston Marathon bombers in 2013 killed three, injured 264. They were on the FBI watch list, but nothing happens to them. The Pulse nightclub shooter in Florida killed 49 people, wounded 53 more, all known by the FBI. And, I, and actually, the FBI had also been warned about the Parkland, of Florida school shooter before he killed 17. They knew beforehand about the Tennessee Waffle House shooter who killed four, injured two more. I'm getting to this point that I, I think we have to take a very close look uh, when we get law and order back in Washington about what exactly happens uh, inside the FBI. What happens when someone's on their watch list? Are they too limited and they, they have to wait till they kill uh, and engage in a mass shooting before we can take action? Can we be more aggressive with people who are alarming to us? I mean, I'm, you know, I start out this little lengthy first five, um, you know, talking about other stories, but uh, talking about the Minnesota situation, praising the justice system there. I am concerned about the FBI. I am concerned it's politicized. I'm concerned just like they did under the IR with the IRS when President Obama decided he was not about to let all these tea parties get their legal um, uh, legal right to, to function as a 501c3, so they sick the IRS after them. I'm concerned because when a government in a country like America that's supposed to have the rule of law and everybody is treated the same under the rule of law, when you have a, an FBI that's just out of control going after innocent people, as the January 6th thing, and an FBI at the same time that uh, went hog wild in their uh, conduct, and they, they went along with the, um, the Trump-Russia collusion thing, they're going right along with the investigate to the hilt, the January 6th thing, uh, but then you don't have very much interest at that level at going after the violence in the city, streets of our cities streets of our cities uh, and even in these extremely dangerous cases. Probably a reason to really look again because one of the most important things of the rule of law in this country is it has to be blind justice and the goal is to protect the innocent and to protect the innocent from other people who are a danger to us. And that is my way long past first five for today. Today we have scheduled to have a guest with us, Sam Sorbo. Uh, I'm getting a text while I'm talking to you uh, saying something has arisen. She's unavailable. Um, and she actually, I was just texting and talking to her yesterday. So I will tell you about her. We'll get, I'm sure we'll reschedule her. This is her newest book, Words for Warriors, Sam Sorbo. Uh, she's married to Kevin Sorbo. She's an actress and a screenwriter and has her own talk show um, and a nationally syndicated talk show. Her new book is called Words for Warriors, What It Means to Be an American, Fight Back Against Crazy Socialists. Uh, just actually just connecting with her, but somehow they've had something come up. She's not joining us today, which therefore leaves me the amount of time I actually really did need and do need to talk about my, my uh, topic, other topic for today, which I want to I wanna spend a bunch of time on because I want you to be thinking about what this means for America and our future under this current administration. You may have heard that in the great state of Texas, we had our governor finally lift the mask mandate, finally lifted the mask mandate and in Texas, and so this is like two or three weeks ago. So after that, and of course, all the people, you know, many leftists, very, very condemnatory. In fact, I think it was Biden. I think when President Biden was using the word Neanderthal, he was referring to our governor uh, because he lifted the mask mandate. But after the mask mandate was lifted, the numbers of new cases and the number of hospitalizations in Texas are going down and down, and they continue to go down into the second week. So there's that fact. Now I want to talk about what's happening in Washington on COVID because I think you should be, I think we should all be concerned about several aspects of this, um, uh, both the uh, vaccine passports uh, and the mask mandates. And I'm going to start with the vaccine passport thing. I want to remind you, my very fine friends, when I was first talking about if they get a vaccine for this COVID-19, we need to be very careful in our country to protect against the possibility of the um, vaccine being used to issue some kind of passport to say basically you have the freedom to travel or you don't have the freedom to travel based on your status of having received a vaccine. 
I cannot tell you how many people of you happy listeners wrote in or commented on YouTube or Facebook, oh, come on, that's not going to happen. This is not a communist country. We're not going to have a vaccine passport. And I even had someone, I had commented at the time that in China, that was one of the things that the Chinese government came up with very early on was the idea that, you know, once we have this COVID uh, vaccine, we're going to have to have a passport and it was going to be used. Like they already have their social credit system. It was going to be used in, uh, in China in some ways like a you can leave your house or not leave your house kind of passport. It was going to be the kind of thing, whether it was on your phone or whether it was some kind of test you could show that you had proof of you either had COVID, you had the uh, antibodies, or you've had the vaccine or something, and it was going to limit you in flying and in getting on public transportation and in entering some public buildings. And so I said all this, reading this story out of China, and I had a listener who wrote in to say, uh, I live in China, I'm an American by back, or I live here, and that's completely crazy, and the Chinese are never going to do this, and that's crazy, blah, blah. Okay, so it's already happening in China. But now it's coming here, and I'm not really saying this just to kind of gloat about having been right because I don't want to be right, but I really want you to focus on how serious the government could get, how serious they could get with confining your future liberty based on your compliance, not just with this current vaccine, the, the COVID-19, there are three different companies offering vaccines and vaccines are, you know, around the country going on, but the, but it's two things that it's not just this vaccine, although it's big enough issue itself. It is the idea that other iterations, other mutations of this particular virus could happen. And that, you know, mutation does not somehow respond to or address uh, the, or, you know, the uh, original vaccine you got won't help as to some new mutation. And then as to other health threats, and the government saying, well, you know, now that we think about it, we have a COVID passport in place. Let's just go ahead and say the flu must be, uh, you know, the flu is very uh, lethal. The flu kills people every year. So the flu vaccine's gotta be mandatory. So I wanna tell you where we are on this. So President Biden announced that the federal government is helping to develop a COVID vaccine passport. And he's saying, Biden's saying they're trying to develop this passport and his words were, could you could display it like a scannable code similar to an airline boarding pass. So the concept is that you would have a, like the same kind of thing you have when you board a plane, if you have either on your phone, you have the little code or you have it a piece of paper and you scan it and they go, oh yeah, that's you, yeah, you have a ticket, get on the plane. Well, they're talking about using that kind of thing to give you a status as to whether and you earn that, that particular scan by having the COVID vaccine. And so Biden, President Biden's trying to say, well, we're not, this isn't the federal government mandating it. We're not going to make people do it. But we know that the private sector wants this so much. The private sector, airlines, you know, trains, buses, public buildings, museums, schools, all sorts of public facilities, and even private facilities, grocery stores, uh, you know, other kinds of stores, they're all going to want to have this vaccine passport. So we, says Biden, we're just trying to help. Don't you see? We're just trying to help. We're not mandating. We're just trying to help. But at the end of the day, they're trying to help come up with a massive nationwide vaccine passport that then essentially when you've had your vaccine, you'll get a little passport, whether it's a code on your phone or a code in your, um, you know, that you carry around, whatever it'll be, and, and that will determine your freedom. It'll determine whether you can get on the plane, on an airplane to go someplace. It'll determine whether you can get, uh, you know, especially I, I assume travel abroad, it will be your next, your passport. And for those of you who are saying, well, good. In fact, I'll tell you, there are people saying, well, look, the majority of Americans would probably like this. You know, we all feel safer. We all feel safer knowing everybody else around us has been vaccinated. And I just want, and, and I'm thinking maybe some of you are thinking that, well, you know, what's so bad about that? I mean, you're going to have, you know, a vaccine that is keeping us all safe. And so, you know, what is so bad about the idea of having this passport? And I want to run through the arguments with you because I want to urge you to tell these, to repeat these and tell your 25 best friends why this is a terrible idea. Number one, may I remind you, COVID has a 99.7 
uh, cure rate, meaning a, a minuscule portion of Americans actually uh, die from COVID. Of those who contract it, 99.7 is about the average who get over it, who, are, who, you know, don't, who don't die. And so they, and this was, these are the case, these numbers were the case even before the government would finally allow people the healthcare freedom to pursue ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, all these treatment formulas. This, I, I mean, we had a really high cure rate even before all these treatments. Number two, the cure rate is not available. I mean, what doesn't apply, the people who tend to succumb to COVID are those who are very senior and have pre-existing comorbidities. And those people know who they are. They know their age and they know whether they have these pre-existing comorbidities. So those people could decide to take extra care. But this whole idea of a, co of a, a vaccine being created at all, at all for a disease that has a 99.7 survival rate, 99.7% survival rate is absurd. A vaccine at all. But now a vaccine passport is the next thing. So a vaccine for something that everybody gets, pretty much everyone gets over, and now it's a passport, and now it's going to limit your freedom. And you can say, okay, but still, it's just the government trying to take care of you, trying to keep you safe. Okay, so what other possible diseases could the government decide warrant uh, you know, limiting your freedom. I mean, a flu vaccine is just one example. Other iterations of the, um, of the, uh, you know, uh, of COVID-19, other mutations of COVID-19, another example of things that would result in um, having the, um, you, you know, having a, a new mandated vaccine. So other diseases, and then all this public safety argument. And I want to address one of the public safety arguments because what the left is saying is, well, you know, this is just, it's not just to keep people safe. It's, you know, to, to prevent society from having overcrowded hotel, over, overcrowded hospitals, overcrowded emergency rooms, you know, and, and then the whole public becomes, uh, you know, ends up paying for it if we have a massive new outbreak and we have all these people who are then um, succumbing to it. Um, we have a, a massive outbreak. We have hospital beds filled and then plenty of people who don't have any insurance and so the public's going to pay for it. But, you know, these are the kind of arguments that the left used to make. I have a good friend who got a, a graduate degree and studied a lot of this stuff, studied at the CDC for a while. And she was saying that in her graduate degree, they were, they were saying that, you know, the public health officials say that America should simply outlaw cigarettes, just outlaw them. Forget about warnings on the packets, forgetting about public service, just outlaw them. And the argument goes, well, you know, because smoking causes cancer, and if you do smoke and you get cancer and you don't have any insurance or any money, you become a burden on society. So therefore, society has the right to control your behavior. Society has the right to control your behavior because after all, you know, you, we may end up paying for your health care at some point. Well, that is going to be the standard that anyone might do something that causes society to have to pay for their behavior. You know, then you can get down a whole long list of things that we crack down on, like drug use, legalized marijuana, all sorts of things. And once you shift the standard from the assumption of individual liberty to the standard that says the government's going to decide uh, what you need to do to stay healthy, and we're somehow are they going to mandate it and control you, you have lost individual liberty. But I want to point out that all you people, even a few months ago, who were saying there was a tinfoil hat concern that we'd end up with uh, vaccine passports, were already getting close to it. We're having the federal government discussing it. They're helping to come up with it. And they're going to end up with uh, people, if you do have an opposition to getting this vaccine. And to be really clear, many people are, are opposed to the COVID vaccines, even though they're otherwise fine with vaccines generally in life. They, they are not opposed to vaccines generically. They're opposed to the COVID vaccines because they're aware that these are, in the words of Dr. Simone Gold, simply unproven treatments. These are experimental treatments. We don't have the kind of confirmation that we've had for other vaccines of its safety, of its likely success. We don't have that. It's an experimental treatment. And many people are saying, you know what? The COVID, I, if I get COVID, I've, I've got, you know, 
a 99.7% chance of survival, and I don't know what this vaccine is going to do, do to me next week, next year. I don't want to take it. I want you to think about what happens if we accept this as okay in our society, this vaccine passport thing, because it's going to become something that you, you can't even envision all the many ways in which your freedom would be limited. So you can't get on an airplane anymore. You can't fly anywhere. You can't get on a train. You can't get on a cruise ship. You can't get on a bus. So you can only get around in your own car, I guess. And so you, it would be limiting on travel. But then the places you want to go, even things like, you know, wanting to go to a football game, wanting to go to a baseball stadium. Are we going to have, you know, one entrance for the vaccinated and they get the nice seats and the, and the you know, lovely seats and the unvaccinated are off the, the great unwashed in some other section. Same with public buildings like art museums, like, like all sorts of places in which cultural entertainment happens, like public libraries, like, uh, like restaurants, like, play, like bars. I mean, the list of places that if we accept as a cultural norm that that COVID vaccines are legitimately subject to a passport, legitimately subject to a passport, you have no idea how little freedom you have. And the worst thing is you're establishing as a presumption that the individual right to liberty can be surrendered, can be destroyed by the government because to keep you safe. It is a very, very alarming future picture, and, and, and it's hard to envision how you back up from that. If, you, if the government says, okay, well, justice, because COVID-19 was so bad, never mind that the number of deaths was greatly exaggerated, never mind that the doctors have been wrong and the prognosticators have been wrong, you know, many, many times, but, and now we have a 99.7 survival rate, but we're going to have this anyway. I mean, you're going to have a situation where we've accepted this as legitimate and there's no end to the various nefarious ways in which the government in the quest to keep you safe can take away your freedom. The time to object is now. The time to say no is now. The time for governors in the states around this country to say, we are not having, we are not going along with a vaccine passport in any place in this state. We're not doing it. There is just a, a need for people to stand up and say it now. Because I'll tell you, some, even people on the conservative side of the aisle are saying, well, you know, even if you don't want the vaccine and even if you're not worried about COVID, you know, it makes other people feel safe. Well, I mean, since when do, do we set our standard for liberty in this country based on what other people think makes you safer? I mean, I don't think people, you know, I, I could say, Alcohol, I think alcohol is very dangerous. So uh, why, don't, why don't we just make a rule nobody can drink, no more alcohol, because then we'll all be safer. But you would have the argument back as you did with a smoker saying, wait a minute, you know, this is a free country. I choose to drink. As long as I don't drink and drive, I'm allowed to drink. I choose to smoke cigarettes. And even if, you know, they're bad for me or something, I'm allowed to do that. I can take that health risk. We let people in this country take risks. And this is what's involved with drinking, it's what's involved with cigarettes, it's what's involved with all sorts of other dangers we allow. We allow people to jump out of airplanes for entertainment and hope their parachute opens. We allow people to, to be, make as a sport racing cars, to go to a, you know, go to a track and race cars and, and drive, you know, whatever it is, 120 miles an hour and smash and, and kill themselves, kill other people. We let them do that because it's a free country. You can decide not to do it if you want to or decide to do it, but we give people that freedom. This is a big, I'm getting at the point, this is a big precipice. This is a big decision point, a dividing line. Saying the government's going to say, because we managed to get people unduly worried about COVID through grotesquely exaggerating the risk, through lying about the number of people who actually died from COVID. I mean, CDC has had to backpedal and say, well, actually, yeah, a lot of deaths that were not due to COVID were listed as COVID deaths. And so the COVID death numbers went way, way up. And, it was, and all of a sudden you have many states with no flu deaths this year, which like never happens, but many, many COVID deaths. I really want, I'm, I'm concerned and I want to try to raise the alarm bell now about the idea that when Biden is talking about 
We're going to have, you know, passports to tell, for people to acknowledge uh, that they've actually had the vaccine. And this is all done to keep us safer. You need to understand what, um, you know, what is actually going on with that. The next thing I want to point out is um, the CDC uh, put out some statements that are causing people it's under the CD, this whole uh, topic of COVID right now. The CD, the new director of the CDC, um, uh, put out a statement today. Uh, her name is Rochelle Walensky, or maybe yesterday. Rochelle Walensky. She put out a statement. She talked about, she actually said, I'm going to go off script and just talk from the heart. I'm worried about the impending doom. Those are her words. Impending doom. Because too many states are abandoning the mask mandate and they're not enforcing social distancing. We're seeing numbers go up, impending doom. And she's saying, please, 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 please put those mask mandates back in place. Please honor social distancing. Please do all the things we've been telling you because she's saying all this freedom coming along and the numbers are going up. I want to share something with you though that kind of puts, I mean, literally kind of puts the lie to what she's saying. And this is a chart uh, for, uh, first of all, there was a, a, a comparison of two different, um, now I'm, I'm going to go with the chart. I want to show you a chart she made. It's like a map of the U.S. And I want to ask Matt, okay, look at this chart. You see all these numbers in pretty colors. Let's leave it up for a while, Matt, because I want to make this clear. This is what the CDC puts out to justify their claim that there is an increasing number, that COVID cases are going back up. It's color-coded to show you where it's going back up. So the states that have that reddish brown color and at the bottom left, you can see red, that's they're calling that color red. So they have the most new cases per 100,000 people in the country. The red states, all, I mean, the red ones that are in this drawn, this map is red. So if you think about it for a second, where those states are located, okay, those are in New England and Michigan and Minnesota. Those are states that still have the mask mandates. Those are states that have strict shutdown orders, strict social distancing requirements, still mandating a mask. The point being, the places where COVID is going up are the places where they, are, they still have the mask mandate in place. And then you see other colors, they have orange and then yellow and then green. And I'm pointing all this out to say that what, she, what the data are showing from COVID is the states that are freeing people, freeing people from the mask mandates have the better numbers. The COVID cases are going up where masks are required. The COVID cases are going down where they dropped the mask mandates. And I, I can't tell you how valuable this chart is. And again, from the CDC, this is their numbers, their point being that, you know, she's freaking out saying, everybody's got to get back to masks. We have to have masks because, you know, look, the cases are going up. And she's not, I mean, talk about not following the science. She's not acknowledging that the spike is in the places that require, and the spike isn't that big, by the way, either, but is not, the spike is going up where the people are required to wear masks. The reason, the, okay, if you look at states like Florida, Texas, Mississippi, that have removed restrictions and the cases are going down. Where the cases are going up are in the states that I just mentioned, the ones in the red. And so I want you to tell me the reason. Why is it that this, CDC director would be, you know, goes on to national stage to say she's just, she senses impending doom because people don't wear masks when her own data is telling her that's the states that force masks where the cases are going up and the states which are dropping the mask mandates, the cases are going down. I mean, you, we get talked about on our side as follow the science, follow the science. What is the reason? I mean, the answer is there is no reason. There is no logic to it. And that is also proven by another thing I sent to Matt the Wonderful. These are two text messages by the same entity. If you can put those up, Matt, I'll show these people. Okay, so the CDC head said two weeks ago, there's increasing data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that safe reopening does not suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated. Two weeks later, I think we need a lot more resources in order to get the schools safe. And so in the State of the Union, um, 
Teachers at high risk for COVID-19 should have options for virtual learning, CDC Chief Rochelle Walensky says, following the agency's updated guidance for reopening schools. And I want to tell you, my friends, where the updated guidance came from. They say so on their website. Updated guidance, yeah, came from the teachers. Literally, they say new input, new information. They list, you know, other bland sounding descriptions, vague sound descriptions, and the teachers who are basically saying we don't want to go back to work. I mean, to say that this woman is trying to claim that what she is doing to America is based on science is ridiculous. Matt, put up that chart one more time of the, of the states, of the picture of the states. I really want to just focus on this one second to make this point. I think that the people who are in these um, states that have the cases going down ought to, be, ought to be the most outspoken, the most vociferous ones in saying they want to have an explanation out of Washington. They want to understand why they're being pushed to go back to the mask mandates when their numbers are better than the states that have mask mandates. I mean, those states, orange and yellow, and most certainly blue, um, should be the ones speaking up. And so back to this whole story that I'm getting at in the, the CDC in this uh, episode, this point. We have in this country this, um, I don't even know what to call it. We, we have like two parallel tracks of citizens. We have citizens that believe whatever Fauci says, whatever the federal government says, and I'm sure they're listening to the CDC director today, Walensky, and saying, oh my gosh, that's it, we're back to mandates, back to mandates, you know, everybody get back on track, uh, because Fauci said so, and because Walensky said this, and she's a CDC person, everybody back, and, and, and Fauci's been out talking about masks again, saying, you know, masks should be, even for parents who are both vaccinated, their young minor children should have to wear masks, which, and they've already shown, Kids don't spread COVID. Kids don't spread it in school. Kids don't die from it. I mean, it's just absurd. But this idea of keeping us masked, it flies with some segment of the American population. They say, well, you know, that's what they're saying. Let's go do it. There's another segment of the American population concerned. And they're also the ones, same ones concerned, not wanting to have a, a, a vaccine passport. But they're concerned about what is the reason the government is so driven to control my behavior? What is the reason the government is so insistent on telling me whether my business can be open, where I can stand in public, what I have to wear in my face going out? We do have a growing division on this subject in the country. And part of what it makes you um, think about is, well, then what are the governors do? What are the governors supposed to be doing uh, in these states where they have these just great, uh, great divisions? How do they operate? And it's not just a division, red state, blue state, because I'm in a red state in Texas. And I can tell you, I have relatively conservative Republican friends who barely still have left home because of COVID. Uh, they're still wearing masks and staying home. And I don't make fun of them. I don't belittle them. But I do think I'm glad we live in a state where I have the choice I want to make and they can make their choice. What the Fauci and uh, Walensky left wing doctors are saying is, no, we decide for everybody based on our assessment of health care. We decide and you just do it. You do what we say. And others in the country are saying, I don't think so. Um, and it, it goes down to, I want to tell you a story that's just truly amazing, but it gets down to the individual level of, of um, families and, and what happens there. Because, you know, Biden's had statements out and extremely, I've not been playing them because he can barely get a sentence out. He sounds like he's, I, 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 anyway, he, he sounds terrible. He's not cogent. But Biden has statements that I really, really think, you know, come on, man. I really think that everyone should go back to masks. I urge the states to reinstate the mask mandates. I urge people to socially distance. You know, come on, let's keep doing this. Let's keep doing this. At the same time that this, you know, the background noise is about the passports, if you haven't had a vaccine, at the same time that public health officials are already saying, we see new uh, viruses on the horizon and this, va this COVID vaccine is not gonna help with those. You're gonna have to do this again and again. And then you have people just saying, sorry, not putting up with it. But, but so Biden is all over this and the, to the extent he's capable of being all over anything. But there is a spirit of mask freedom. I'll tell you two quick stories uh, about this um, and, uh, and then tell you about the gray state of Florida, which has the best governor in the country. I'll just say it. Okay, maybe he's tied with Governor Noam in South Dakota, but Governor DeSantis in Florida has been a rock star on these issues. But two quick stories. Now, this is actually kind of amazing. So here, right, right here in Dallas, 
we um, actually, I, um, there's a young woman, a Catholic woman who is at mass um, and she, is, uh, she has a one-year-old baby. She's pregnant again. She's at mass and uh, at the Catholic mass and she'd just taken the Holy Eucharist and two police officers came up to her in church, in church and said, essentially, you know, we're going to have to arrest you. You're going to have to leave. And they physically dragged her out She's got a baby, a one-year-old baby in her arms, and, and she herself is pregnant again, and she's you know, just taking the whole Eucharist. She's trying to say her prayers, and dragged out of the church, and, as she, and, and she didn't have a mask on. She didn't have a mask on. She's young. She's healthy. Others around her did have masks on, and so she uh, was dragged out of church, and what she was charged with was trespassing. One of the priests in this Catholic church had called the police and wanted her arrested for trespassing. And his definition of trespassing was, he doesn't give permission for anyone to come into his church unless they have a mask on. And since she wasn't wearing a mask, he had her arrested and dragged out during mass for not wearing a mask. I mean, the seating is already socially distanced. Get that clear. She's not near anybody, but she got her, she gets dragged out. And as she's being dragged out, an usher, like, you know, usually the ushers in churches are the really devout, the really committed, happy to serve the church and all that. Usher in the back, yelling out, lock her up. Lock her up. This is what this COVID thing is doing to American society. This is what the COVID thing is doing to America. You have devout Catholics in the middle of service, a priest, or I, they were calling him pastor, whichever title he's supposed to have, but a pastor, saying that he called the police and urged them to drag a parishioner out of church in the middle of mass for not wearing a mask and an usher a allegedly dedicated catholic screaming yelling lock her up and i think that's a good you know i actually happen to know the parents of this young woman i decided not to invite her on the show because i don't know if they she likes as much attention to it but i do want you to think about what that says how much has been accomplished by the left in this country over the last year or year and a half, it's only a year and a few months, with this COVID scare. We have a 99.7 survival rate. We have many efficacious treatments. Doctors all over the country are trying to get that information out. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, many others available, these treatments available, and yet we have this mask mania mentality that a priest would think that would be the good call to make in church is to have a parishioner dragged out and have the usher I, i'm sure the priest didn't tell the usher said but the usher felt fully justified in yelling out lock her up I, I mean this COVID thing it is beginning to separate the people who believe in freedom and the freedom of the individual and the people who don't so last thing i'm gonna hit florida in just one moment but quickly about florida they're having i guess it's in fort lauderdale uh, but they're having a million maskless march in florida million maskless march and it is designed to um basically say you know we're done with masks and they have a hashtag basically uh you know we want to see your faces see your faces something like that uh, but they're basically getting at the idea they're saying we're not they have the music uh, going we're not going to take it um, and they're having a mask burning this is going to be april 10th um, in fort lauderdale and i think these kind of things I, I think that people in charge, people who are city council members, county uh, officials, governors, they're not sure, you know, in their particular play, uh, location, where are the people on this? I mean, I, I, they can't figure out whether, you know, Fauci and his mask, uh, you know, Nazism is really popular with American people and they want to be told what to do or whether people want their freedom. I think there are literally governors that I could name who are waiting to be told what's the right thing to do as a governor based on what my people, my citizens think. And I, this is why I love these kind of things because anyone afraid of COVID and, or anyone wanting to wear a mask should not go and they won't go. They'll stay home or they'll go somewhere else and they'll do their, whatever they're doing in life. But the people organizing and saying, yeah, we don't want to be told to wear a mask and we're going to burn our masks. And we're trying to communicate to the country that this, this mask, Shutting down a freedom in this country must stop. 
So that's happening in Florida. Okay, and then last quick thing about Florida. I always say this Governor DeSantis, I, I do think he'll be our, I'll think he'll be the 2024 presidential candidate, but he's done two things. He's a proactive freedom fighter. This is why I love him, proactive in his freedom fighting. He announced already, in light of all this talk in Washington out of Biden and team, how we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to have a um, COVID passport, uh, passport uh, vaccination passport, and you're not going anywhere. You're not going to be able to go anywhere without um, without this passport. He announced he's going to take uh, executive emergency action against a vaccine passport, against the very idea that citizens should be told. You know, you have to have proof on your phone or, you know, proof and some piece of paper proving you have the vaccine or else you don't have freedom. He's saying, no, we don't condition freedom in this country. No. So he's saying that, which is great, already a great thing. And then he also has in Florida, um, and, you know, and he doesn't, he talks about the idea of respecting the individual, respecting individual liberty, the right of decisions to make for people can make on their own. It is the right idea of America. And that's what, you know, I talk about this dichotomy in America between the left, or but I always think of it as the leftists who want to be told what to do and are willing to do whatever the government says and the people who still love freedom. And that's what's really happening in Florida, this, this little bit of uh, battle in Florida over, um, you know, over the mask situation. He's just saying, we're not starting that. Doesn't mean I don't, and he's saying it, doesn't mean I don't respect the people who want to wear masks but we're not going to mandate them and we're not going to mandate, we're not going to take away people's freedom because they don't have a vaccine passport. Other thing he did, which is truly incredible, I didn't even realize it, but the CDC again recently, you know, when COVID broke out and they had all those breakouts on the big uh, cruise ships and they didn't yet know about hydroxychloroquine or budesonide or ivermectin or any other treatment. And they had a lot of people become very ill at very close quarters on ships. And so that the CDC had put out something basically saying temporary health emergency, no cruise ships. And so here we are a year later and we now know survivability rate. We have better data about that. We know what treatments are available. We know that what the, um, you know, what originally was happening, people got sick, they're being put in hospitals and putting on, on ventilators, which we now know were actually killing the patients because once the disease had, disease had so dissolved your lung tissue and then you put on a ventilator, the ventilator itself was actually killing the patient. And we now know that. And so, you know, we're not doing that anymore. And maybe in some cases, but the people, the doctors have now realized that the ventilator emergency didn't need to be because the ventilators weren't really helping. But in Florida, so DeSantis, who's saying, look, this is a great industry for Florida. We have lots and lots of people fly here to get on a cruise ship and go somewhere. So he is actually threatening to sue on behalf of the state of Florida, threaten to sue CDC over the travel restrictions because CDC is basically, they re-upped their rule about cruise ships and said, yeah, we still shouldn't have cruise ships. And again, the whole freedom question. If you're an adult and you know that, that COVID exists, you understand that it could be dangerous, you want to go on a cruise, the cruise company wants to do the cruise. They can put whatever restrictions they want in place in terms of who can get on and or you know how you travel and social distance. They can make all those restrictions, but free people should be allowed to do these things. And so he's saying, you know what? We're not going to just go along with this whole next year of more CDC control uh, over this cruise ship industry, over the travel industry. So he's threatening to sue them uh, based on this thing that they put out uh, very recently. So DeSantis, you know. I realize how tough these issues are, my friends. I actually do realize. I think that I have dear friends uh, who, you know, stayed home from church for months, or went to church with masks on, or you know, stayed home and still stay home. I have a range of friends of different viewpoints about all of this, and I do understand. It's a, you know, people have individual views. I don't have the, you know, mockery sense about anyone's decision about how to handle COVID whether they should wear a mask, what they should do. I don't think mockery of anyone else is justified. It's it just, I mean, it's, it's an individual freedom thing. But what I care deeply about is a country like America founded on the freedom of the individual. The idea the individual has a right to live in freedom, a God-given right. And we are at a crossroads, a turning point, a fork in the road, whatever you want to call it. If we're going to say that because of a, of a long-term alleged health risk, we're going to take away the freedom of the people, tell them 
that they have to wear masks and socially distance and close down their businesses and we're going to tell them that we, you can't be free again until you comply with the, the uh, COVID vaccines now available or otherwise your freedom is gone. We're surrendering not just a little smidgen of freedom. It's a big, big deal what's happening right now in 2021. It's a big deal whether we're saying, oh, because of a disease that's now been around with us for a year and we now know much more than we did before. We understand survivability. We understand treatments, but we're still going to say because the government's afraid of it or individuals are afraid of it and those individuals uh, need to be protected, their fears need to be assuaged that we're going to limit the freedom of the American people. It is not an issue where a governor or the federal government or anyone else should be looking at polling data to say, does, do the American people want their freedom? Do they want to have other people's freedom restrained in order to make them feel comfortable? That's not an okay standard. That's not okay in America to decide that we limit, our freedom is limited because of the opinions of other people about uh, how a particular health threat should be challenged, should be handled. Because once you go there, I mean, the, the door is wide open, the barn door is wide open. You could have mandates of all kinds that relate to people's health. And even if the argument is, well, we're doing this to prevent the overcrowding of hospitals and or the extreme problem caused in the, in the, uh, for the taxpayers when you have, um, you know, you have people hospitalized who don't have insurance and can't pay for the room, it becomes a burden on the taxpayers. Even that argument cannot be justified to say, we get to limit your freedom and tell you what to do. Because if that becomes the case, then absolutely you could outlaw cigarettes. I mean, I hate cigarettes. I think they're gross. I don't smoke them. I, I don't want, ever want to be around them. But I understand other people want to get to smoke and it is their right to do that. I don't take drugs. I don't smoke pot. But I understand in some states where it's legal, you know, um, they're allowed to do that. I mean, there's just a there's a freedom issue here that we in the American people have to understand how big it is. And we cannot surrender our freedom in this atmosphere of fear fed and, and manipulated by the federal government. That is a danger to America's future. And it really is something to push back against now. I close the show every day by telling you why the stories that we talked about today matter to you. That's how I always close the show. So Matt has those ready to go up. Uh, Minnesota, FBI, and American Justice. The Chauvin, that's the police officer trial, tracking with U.S. due process, careful jury selection, thoughtful opening statements, evidence, witnesses. There is some threat of rioting if he's acquitted, but we're not at that point. And, um, but con contrast with the hyper-politicized FBI, DOJ, in Washington, D.C. No one stopped the complete hoax that was a Russia collusion investigation. Top FBI officials participated in framing Lieutenant General Michael Flynn because of his Obama animus. Tens of FBI agents sent to investigate a NASCAR garage rope noose that was a hoax. SWAT team sent to arrest non-threat Roger Stone to send the swamp signal to send swamp signals to Trump. Little activity to investigate, arrest, and prosecute Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioters, mass arrests, and pretrial detention for January 6th, encountering court obstacles due to lack of evidence, and yet the Colorado shooter's latest known wolf, and yeah, and that was their expression, known wolf, Fort Hood, Pulse, Parkland, Nashville, not deterred by the FBI. Some adjustments needed. America's justice system is not perfect, but due process under the rule of law is a right ideal. The FBI and the DOJ must be depoliticized, maybe even tear down and start them over, FBI and DOJ. And the vaccine passports and mask mandates, CDC fears impending doom, but CDC data show case spikes occurring in the lockdown mask mandate states, substantial case declines in the opened up states. CDC data also show 99.7 recovery rate for all but the most elderly with comorbidities, Fair question, why is any vaccine needed for a virus with a 99.7 recovery rate? Fauci, Biden, urging masking, pause in the opening up of the country, going slow with reopening schools, vaccine passports now on the Biden agenda. They say to help businesses. Florida Governor DeSantis acting to block them, suing to reopen the cruise lines. Americans increasingly wonder 
Was the pandemic response ever about public health? Or was it always about political power and control? And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I want to remind you that starting in two days from now on Thursday is my first members only show. That's the first day of April, Thursday, April 1st. And every Thursday from here on out is for members only. Tomorrow, I'll run through the slides to show you again how to join. Thank you for all of you who've joined. Uh, it's going to be a great, great first Thursday uh, members only show. We have a gentleman joining us uh, who is really going to be great. Todd Benzman. Uh, he is a former Border Patrol guy. Uh, he's now with the Center for Immigration Studies. He's a great writer, a great thinker. He just came back from the border in Texas and he crossed into Mexico. So we'll hear how things are on both sides of the border. He'll be joining us that first Thursday. Uh, and I really look forward to uh, ha having that format on Thursday. The first Thursday members only shows will be a Q&A format, very different from this kind of format. I think we'll all love it. I'd love to have you join. And I'll tell you again tomorrow how to do that. But for now, I'll wrap up the show by saying thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk? Where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America?